rejoice and be glad in. And Lord, we know we can't do that without your help, without your abiding presence, without your assurance that we're okay. And so, Father, we seek to have that reaffirmed to us today in a great way. Whatever need there is among us today, Father, you know how to meet it by your precious Holy Spirit. And I just yield myself to you to do what you want me to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. So I have a question for you. Are you a stagger knot? Are you a stagger knot? <laughs> amen. <laughs> We'll change our last names today. Yes. Yeah, I'll be Barb Staggernot. <clears throat> change our names because that is our inheritance from our father Abraham. Those who are of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. And the Bible said he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Not Abraham was able to perform, but God was able to perform. Amen? You know, I think it takes more strength sometimes as a Christian to let go of things and let God help you than it is to just get up and do something on your own strength. See, we, we have a tendency to want to find a way within ourselves to make things right in our lives and it takes a lot of restraint to just allow your faith to work and allow God to bring you the necessary things that he wants to bring you in life you know, it takes a lot of self-control takes a lot of confidence in God a lot of faith in God you may see a lot of what you think are really good opportunities go past you but God restrains you from getting involved in certain things. And then down the road, you look back and you think, man, that was a train wreck. And I almost had a seat on that. You understand what I'm saying? <clears throat> and so we can be thankful that God would speak to us and tell us when to move. But he does give us faith for a reason. And that faith will move us to do the thing that God wants us to do so that we can be everything that God wants us to be. And so it's a good thing to know that God is, is there for us. He is encouraging our faith. He is always speaking to us and helping us. And, and you know, we just got to read the signs. Huh? Just got to, gotta, when he flags us down, we got to pay attention. Remember Moses was on the desert and, and uh, bushes caught fire, a spontaneous combustion. You know, something get hot enough, it'll burn. And uh, they, they caught fire all the time. And people always saw, you know, little bush fires and so forth. But this one didn't, didn't go out, didn't consume the bush. And so that was something different. And Moses paid attention to it. See, there's a lot of little signals and signs that God gives us all the time. And if we're alert in our spirit, man will pay attention to them. And then we'll be able to get leading and direction from God and know the right way. And so that's very, very important for our lives as believers whenever, you know, and however, is to always look for the leading of God <clears throat> in everything. And so that was a key to Abraham's success in God. That was a key to him not staggering under the weight of the glory of the promise of God. This is what weighs us down. You ever think God tells you that you're going to do this and do that and do that and do that. And you think, oh my goodness, who's he talking to? 
you know. He's talking to your spirit man, but your spirit man being the size that he is and maybe not as developed as needs to be, your flesh will get in there and stagger at the weight of the promise of God. And so we have to learn how to be stagger knots. We have to learn how to handle the weight of the glory of the promises that God gives us because his promises are many, his promises are sure. His promises range from, uh, I will give you joy, I will give you peace, I will give you confidence, to I will put you in, in front of thousands of people to preach for me. So there's a myriad of promises that God can give us, and we have to be able to handle the weight of all of them without staggering. Because God wants to show us how strong he is in us. He wants to be strong on our behalf and he needs somebody to believe him so that he can do that for us. Amen? Amen. So in, a, in Romans chapter, <clears throat> of chapter 4, we're starting in verse 1. And this is a story about the Staggernaut family. Abraham being the first one and being the father of all of us Staggernauts. Amen? It says in verse 1, what shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he would have something to glory about, but not before God. See, before God, all of our works cease to have any merit, okay? Because they can't hold up in front of his righteousness, I don't care how hard you try to be good, how hard you try to, to not do certain things and pat yourself on the back because it's been three days and I ain't been to Starbucks and, and messed up my, my bill money, you know. You can mess up a big obligation with petty things. Can I say that again? See, the devil likes to, to uh, chip away. You know, if he told you to go out there and lose your house, you would say, ooh, I ain't going to do that. But what he'd tell you instead, go to Starbucks. Go again. Go again. Go again. And pretty soon you bragging to people, I just can't stay away from that place. I can't stay away. And you can't pay your house note at the end of the month. Huh? And Mr. Starbuck is sitting up in a mansion somewhere laughing at all these people that's drinking milk after all these years. See, we've been trying not to... That's all y'all. Y'all a bunch of milk drinkers. Milk junkies and don't know it. Milk and sugar junkies and don't know it. Huh? So y'all got milk? Yeah, in a Starbucks cup. Praise the Lord. Praise God. <laughs> I should talk. I drink coffee black. I learned how to drink it black in college because we couldn't afford cream and sugar. And you stole the coffee from, so I don't even know where the coffee came from. But somehow we got coffee, but we couldn't get no go-wits. And I used to think I liked it with cream and sugar, but I found out I liked it black. Uh, when the cream and sugar wasn't there, that's what I had. So I'm, a, I'm one of them people. But the, you know what? Starbucks will kill you with the double shots. Huh? Because they make wheat coffee. I see this is, I've not thought about this quite a bit. Y'all got to bear me with me in a little foolishness here. But they make the coffee weak for the milk drinkers. See, they're charging you $4 for a latte. You get, what's that tallest one? Venti and all them put them cute names on it. And before you know it, they got you $5. And it's going to be 7 pretty soon. 
You got me? Oh, yeah. It's going. We're going up on this. We always do. And so then they make the coffee weak. So y'all won't taste it. You milk drinkers and sugar drinkers and whipped cream lovers. Y'all won't taste the coffee. And y'all got a nice little drink and pretending to drink. Y'all pretend to be grown. Then us grown girls come in there. We got to have our, we got to, I got to have caffeine just to preach sometimes. You understand what I'm saying? Because I be wanting to go back to bed. So they charge me for the caffeine, the, the espresso where they, you know, boil it down or whatever they do. If you go to Miami's airport, they serve you that Cuban co- Anybody ever had? Oh my goodness. Ouch. <sighs> But I love it. I kept going back. It's dirty and murky looking. And then old men be sitting there knocking them back. And I'm like, ouch. You know, they teach a sister a thing or two. But uh, anyway, so what's a shot of espresso at Starbucks? Got to be a dollar and a half by now. Something like that. Oh, you milk drinkers don't ever forget. Y'all don't know nothing about it. Y'all don't know nothing about us addicted, really addicted people. But it's, you take your milk instead. I know that's right. But by the time I get enough caffeine in my coffee to do me some good, I'm jacked up to $5 just like you milk drinkers are. You see what I'm saying? So they're going to get their $5 out of us no matter what. Now, where was I? I was talking about, I was talking about Abraham. Got off on Starbucks, see? Yeah, yeah, definitely money, huh? Yeah, but but really, Abraham is the father of us all. <clears throat> and God says, what does the scripture say? In verse 3, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's the same thing with us. Whenever you trade your carnal believing, your natural believing, like what you believe your life is supposed to be about before you meet God. Whenever you trade that in for faith in whatever God has for you, it's a, you know, taking all the limits off. I don't, I'm not withholding anything back for myself. Whenever you make that decision and you cash in your natural faith for faith in God, just put it all on him then he counts you as righteous now how could he do that because what he does because you have trusted him with your faith you know now most of us really in the natural realm our faith is so limited we can't make it from payday to payday without getting worried I mean, it's not doing us no good. It's not like we're doing something big like, oh, yeah, you know, I got faith to move mountains and I got a bank account in the seven figures. You ain't got nothing like that on natural man faith. Natural man faith had you uh, on Wednesday, you know, that friend most people have at the job that will loan them 20 until payday. That's what your natural faith did for you. Had you seek out that friend, somebody that was smart enough to hold on to their paycheck and budget their paycheck, and then you could hit them up for 20 until payday. That's natural faith. That's your natural man's faith. That's as far as he's going to take you as far as wealth is concerned. Natural man's faith also works to show you who can help you out when you're in trouble. See, it always works in the natural realm. See, it works out. You know, natural faith will keep you running to the doctor. When there's really nothing wrong with you. 
You're healthy, and all of a sudden you're sitting up at TV, uh, looking at the TV, and they tell you about the seven danger signals. Now, they, they don't do that no more, but back in the day, that's what we heard all day long. Seven danger signals of cancer. And so you go running your hands everywhere looking for a lump. You look for something that looks, that's healing kind of slow. I wonder if that's it. So your natural faith tended to keep you in fear and worry about your condition, about your health, about your security, your safety. So who wouldn't want to cash that in for something greater than what you are, will put you on a new path? Even if it means you got to leave behind everything that you've ever held dear and everything that you've ever believed in to a degree. You don't leave it physically, but you leave the control of it and you give it over to God. Amen. See, many people, when I say you leave what you have, they thinking about, mm, I can get that husband out of my life. I, that old ball and chain. I ain't talking about that. that ain't even right. That ain't right, y'all. That's wrong. Don't go there. Everybody want to cash in. What you, you mean to tell me? If I serve God, I get rid of that old ball and chain. That old, no. Huh? You just turn them over to God's way of living with them. Amen? You're going to have to love the old ball and chain when you get in God's kingdom. But God gives you the power to do it. That's what righteousness is. Righteousness is the power to do right. Huh? And it's imputed to you. It's not something you have to have. Listen, quit looking for it. Because it doesn't belong to us as people. It belongs to God as the righteous one who is able to administer that out to people. He's able to give you righteousness so that you can think like him. You can speak like him. You can believe like him. You can do everything like God and do every meet every expectation God wants you to meet because of righteousness. And so that's what he gave our father Abraham. The first of the stagger knots, like us. Amen? And so Abraham had his, his trials in believing. We all have trials in believing. But what you have to do is not give up believing God for whatever it is that you need for him. Whatever it is that you need from God. You can't give up believing him for those things. And so it says here... <clears throat> In verse 4, it says, to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. So you can try very, very hard to live a good life, to live a pleasing life. But if you do it outside of God, it does nothing but increase your debt. You just feel more and more the weight of the burden of the life you're trying to live. It's hard to be a good person more than three or four minutes. You understand? I mean, even with God. You know, sometimes you, you think to yourself, you know, you can get up and, and walk across the, the floor and you left something in the middle of the floor and stumble over it and there's some word pops out of your mouth that you ain't heard in 10 or 15 years. You understand what I'm saying? And so these things happen to us. It's hard to live perfectly and live right and live righteous without God's help. And so even with God's help, it's a struggle sometimes. The devil lays snares for us. He's always trying to get us trapped up into something to cause us to feel like we're not right or we're not worthy. But God's righteousness is renewed on a continual basis in us. 
If you step out of righteousness, you can easily step right back in by just telling God you're sorry, telling God, oh, I see that. I shouldn't have done that, God. Let me do better this time. Just the desire to do better puts you over into God's realm of righteousness. And he will show you the way, and he will show you the way out. And that's all he ever wants from anybody. That's all he wanted from Abraham. Was Abraham, just trust me to let you, let me show you the way. Let me tell you what a good life is. Let me show you the life I can provide for you. That's righteousness, folks. That's the essence of it, is in trusting God in all things. Even when things don't go the way you want them to go. You must trust God as a righteous person. You must trust God in all things. Job found this out when he lost everything one day. And his wife told him to curse God and die. And he said, can I receive good and bad in this life and still be a servant of God? Does it have to be good all the time for me to say that God is good? I mean, he's good all the time. And he loves us all the time. And righteousness will help you see that and help you understand that. So you're not afraid of trusting God. And you're not afraid of putting all your confidence over in him. And you're not afraid of leaving the old life behind and going forward in God. That's what righteous, that's what staggernauts do. You have to be able to be that way. Because when God starts to put promises towards you and, and promise you things, you'll collapse under the weight of them because your unbelief will cause you not to believe what he's saying. And then you get condemned because you don't know how to do it yourself because you've never been able to do it yourself. And so if we don't understand these things that God provides, these, this imputed righteousness, it's right standing with God. It's right being on the inside and knowing the right way of doing things so your life can work out right. God will cause your life to work out right if you will not stagger at his promises. And so it says here, <laughs> taking her. <laughs> is she pretty loud too? How old is she? Oh my goodness, what are we going to be at six? <laughs> she said, I'm put out. I get back in here again. I ain't worried about nothing. <laughs> so <clears throat> Abraham then was, was able to, to be justified. He was not justified by works, but he had to believe God. In, in verse 3 it says he believed God. And it was imputed to him as righteousness. God counted him as a righteous man. That righteousness, because it's imputed by God, never leaves us. He never, it never leaves us. We either obey or we do not obey righteousness. You got me? So it's a condition. It's a spiritual condition. The righteousness is a condition in your spirit. That there's nothing wrong with it. It's given to you by God. It's pure. It's holy. It's right. It's just. There's nothing wrong with righteousness. You either obey it or you don't. You got me? The Bible says there's no law against righteousness. So anything that you do under that spirit will work out right for you, even though it might look wrong. God tells you he's going to give you a job you've been seeking for a long time. You go to that job and the, the boss rolls your, her eyes at you and tells you off every chance she gets. Righteousness got you that job. 
you prayed, you believed God, you trusted God, you said, I'm putting it out there, God. I want a promotion. I want out of here. Put me in the place you want me to be. And he puts you under a mean boss. Does that mean that you did something wrong in your prayer or that prayer wasn't, that's your flesh told you to do that or you made a mistake and that's how you got there? No, righteousness brought you there. But see, when you get into the door of opportunity, adversaries at the door try and stop you from going through it and stop you from enjoying it and get you to start to stagger under the weight of that promise. See, God, I, you told me this was going to be a good job for me. You told me this would be a, a job that I would enjoy, where I could be promoted, and all I get from my boss is grief. <laughs> Them too. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> uh, so even when it looks wrong, righteousness will cause it to work out right if you will maintain righteousness. What the devil's trying to get you to do is leave righteousness, leave doing right, thinking right, talking right, acting right, being pleasant on the job, being the kind of person that is promotable on the job, and get you to stagger and say, oh, maybe this is wrong. I just shouldn't have done this. Well, I asked God for the wrong thing. They put me in the wrong department. And can we pray my boss out of here? <laughs> See, those are all unrighteous ideas. Because number one, you didn't pray that boss in there. You don't know how that boss got there. But you do know one thing, the boss is the boss. And God puts everybody who is in control, they are there because of God. He upholds authority. He upholds position. He upholds organization. So you're just going to have to think of another thought, folks. And so when we get to these places where we stagger and we're stymied and we don't know how we got. Now, I thought I asked God for a good job. I thought I was going to be happy. Well, you weren't happy in the last one. <laughs> See, jobs don't make us happy. Okay. We decide to be happy. Huh? So maybe God is trying to sell, send Miss Righteousness a message. Huh? Look at Joseph. Huh? Did his best in Potiphar's house. He was a whiz. Joseph was a brilliant man. Why? God was righteousness is brilliant, folks. I mean, you stay in the presence of God and in his word long enough, and God will give you things to say. It'll blow your mind. You say, I can't believe I really said that. That came from what? Huh? You can't believe some of the things that God will, will get you involved in and have work out right because of righteousness. You got me? And so Joseph, being a brilliant man, was found in Potiphar's household and he managed the books. He was so good at it, he was so perfect at it, and he was so trustworthy. This is righteousness talking now, see? You can be good, perfect, and trustworthy in things, and people still treat you bad. Yes, that's true. Well, I thought if I do everything right, it's going to be easy. Are you joking me? Jesus did everything right. He had trouble everywhere he went. The people that followed him and said they loved him quit on him in his time of need. You got me? So righteousness does not always beget 
an easy way. You got me? It doesn't always beget no problems, no stress. But Joseph was in, in Potiphar's house and he did everything right. And then Potiphar's old lady started hitting on him. Huh? So then here's righteousness. He's been using righteousness in his position to do all these things, keep the books right. He got so good at it. Potiphar didn't say, no, I don't even want to check up on your books. I trust you. So righteousness got him that far. And here's old ladies trying to hit on him. And Potiphar's never there. And he doesn't know what kind of thing she's going to say about him behind his back. She's trouble one way or the other. You got me? If he sleeps with her just to keep her quiet so she don't give him no trouble, that's trouble. And if he stands for God and maintains righteousness, that's trouble too. So you're in trouble. Sometimes you're in trouble no matter which way you go. So you might as well maintain righteousness because if righteousness got you in trouble, then more righteousness is going to have to get you out of trouble. You'll never get out of trouble with unrighteous means. Huh? If you, if you try to schmooze your, your uh, boss at work, you know, kiss up to them. They see through that before they see through anything else. So that fleshly kind of manipulation is not going to get you anything. But you can come to them in love and on boss's day, offer them a nice gift. Find out when the birthday is and offer them something, you know, that would fit, you know, like a size smaller than what they are. You, you know what I'm talking about. Just the thought. Nobody size. You know? <laughs> so <laughs> for, to be the safest thing, get them a basket with nothing that fits in it. You got me? And so, and these are righteous thoughts that, that you can tell God, God, this person doesn't understand who I am. Let me win them over with your love. Let me win them over with your ways. Let me show them who I am in you. And God will give you ways to win people over. Well, you know, Joseph wound up in jail anyway through false accusation. So we have all kinds of opportunities to turn and go the unrighteous route. Many people would say he would have been justified to just say, well, I'm just going to serve my time and forget about serving God or anything else. But in prison, they put him in charge of everything. I mean, when you maintain righteousness, that righteousness will cause you to do the right thing at the right time to impress the right person to make your life right. Yeah. It's going to make your life right. It may not look like it at the time, and it may not seem that God is delivering you in a timely fashion, but you just maintain righteousness. This is the test that God puts before all of us. When we're pressured and don't have what we want, when we want it, what are we going to do? Are you going to dance with the one that brung you? Are you going to continue to do things God's way? Are you going to continue to lift him up? you continue to believe him? Or are you just going to go back to your old fleshly ways to see if you can get out of it in a hurry? You see what I'm saying? You're going to get your own deliverance. You're going to make people respect you. You're going to make them treat you right. You can't do that. And so what we have to do as believers is the stagger not people. Don't stagger at the weight of the trial that you're in to maintain righteousness because the devil hates it. I can tell you when he sees righteous people coming, he'll get 15 people lined up to gossip about you every time you come in the coffee room. You got me? 
to see if he can get you to react in the flesh to it. Wow, that's good. Huh? That's when you got to get your triple double shot of espresso. Go on in there and be righteous. You got me? Go in there and stay focused on your job, what you're supposed to do. One by one, you'll see them leave up out of there. Huh? Praise God for the gossipers in the coffee room. You know, find out what jobs they got. You know, find out which one's got a job you want one day. And start asking God, God, you said the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. And I'm maintaining your righteousness in my position here. And it looks like I can be fitted right in that seat right there in that office right there that that girl got. And she's talking about me and trying to get me fired. So God, what are you going to do? Amen. So righteous people rely on God as the one who gives justice, as the one who makes things right. But trust me, when you maintain righteousness, it's going to end up right. You might have a few glitches and bumps in between, but you keep doing the right thing. You keep blessing people. You keep coming to church. You keep studying the word. You keep praying. You keep doing what you're supposed to do. And that righteousness will take care of you. Eventually, it will come right. You know, Daniel, Daniel was facing the same thing. Daniel prayed continually to God. And there were people that wanted him dead. Why? Because he was a righteous man. Righteousness is hated. I mean, this is no, this is no cheap commodity. And this is not religion that you can fool people with and put it on and take it off. And then they see you one time, they see you at the bar falling off the stool and you run around church, I mean, work with a Bible praying for everybody. You understand? When the, and they like to find Christians like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about righteous, imputed righteousness that God puts on our lives as a means to conduct our lives, a way to conduct our lives so that everything works out right. So when God places that upon you and you operate in his righteousness, you begin to see things the way God sees them. You'll respond to things the way God would respond to them. Sometimes you're so loving and so forgiving toward people, you scare yourself. Huh? Now, I've done that. There have been times when I could... There's, you know, like little shadows of things sometimes in our lives that... It's just a little, a little vague remembrance of the way you used to act sometimes in certain situations. Like, you know, somebody says something to you out of the way. If you were the type of person like I was, you thought about it for a minute and you immediately piped up with something that... <coughs> you got me? I'm in with you. <laughs> All right, so that was yesterday. So, okay, I repented. Y'all stop it. I'm going to the Methodist church down the street thinking about y'all. But you know what I mean. Huh? Is, you think it's bad? It's been worse. Huh? <laughs> but you know, there have been times when you, you think and, and it, it just it doesn't move you at all. But there's something in you kind of remembers a little bit about a person that used to Go off at certain things. You understand what I'm saying? And that's, that's growth. That's where righteousness, you know, that's been imputed to you. 
and you've moved in God's power and you've moved in God's righteousness and you don't have any recollection of a wrong done. Huh? Remember back in the day when you would smile at somebody and you'd be plotting every day how to get even with them. Like, she, well, you sorry she said that to me, man. Oh, I know where she lived. I know where to me, huh? The kids too, you know, the dog too, you know. You, you want to go medieval on them, you know. Can't do that. I mean, righteousness will pull you out. I'm serious, folks. You know, that's where it will start to first affect you in your heart. In, and in your memories, your memories don't snap, you know, like they, <laughs> it's one of my favorite programs, <laughs> snapped. <laughs> you know, you see all the bad girls that just come home one day and everybody's <laughs> dead now, snap, you know. Oh, we don't do that anymore around here. <laughs> They'll clear up your problems real quick, won't it? <laughs> but uh, moving on, what was I talking about? Oh, boy. Okay, so, all right. So it says here in verse 6, even as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness without works. You just put everything over into God. You put all your confidence in him. You put all your future in him. You put all your hopes, all your plans inside of God. You say, God, I have nothing. I have no agenda. I have no plans. I have no schemes. I have no nothing. I'm just trusting you. I've met the real, true, and living God, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm trusting you to lead me to where you want me to go. You know, many times we get saved and, and get God, and then we want him to co-sign everything we want to do. You know, young believers kind of make that mistake sometimes, and older ones too. You know, it's easy to veer over the line and get back into your flesh and get back into yourself again and want to use God's principles to advance self. And so that's when you have to be careful to maintain righteousness. If the fruit of righteousness is not there in your life, if you don't have great peace and you don't have righteousness and joy in your life, then there's something missing somewhere. There's somewhere you crossed over the line where you need to get back over, repent, and get back over again and pick up doing things God's way. Everybody gets discouraged. Everybody feels to, to uh, question uh, whether things are, are right because they've done something wrong or, or what's going wrong in their life. But as righteous people, we have to maintain our position in God. And when you find your mind wandering as to why is it taking so long and what's, what, you know, when am I ever going to? That's the one unrighteous question we need to quit asking ourselves. Amen. Amen. Am I ever going to go do this? Am I ever going to do this and that? You'll do all of that. Because God would, is a righteous God. He wouldn't cheat you out of anything that your heart desires. Yeah. And so we have to maintain that position of trusting God so that we can go forward in a way that will please God and in a way that will benefit us greatly. And righteousness is the greatest benefit to your life that you can ever have. Because your faith works better. Your faith will work for greater things as a righteous person than it does for small things. You know, used to be uh, believing for bills to be paid was a big thing with a lot of believers. Now they're believing for mortgages to be paid off. 
for, to buy things for cash, that kind of stuff. So, and if it's not happening with you, it can. But I see believers all over that have advanced themselves in their faith to where material things are not a problem for them anymore. That is an advancement, folks. It's one for me, and I'm sure it'll be one for, for anybody else. And so we must understand that when you maintain righteousness, it has great rewards, and it'll move you on to greater and greater things in God. <clears throat> so it says here, as David said, it described the blessedness of a man, verse 6, unto whom God imputes righteousness without works, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Now, a person to whom God does not impute sin anymore is a blessed person because the blessings will finally come to you. They will be attracted to you. The one thing that keeps us from being as blessed as God wants us to be is sin. That's why he imputes righteousness to us as a remedy for our sin. It's not just that you're saved and your sins are forgiven and that's the end of the story. But you've got to live this life. And righteousness is what empowers you to live this life and go forward and face all of the challenges that you have to face as a believer and overcome all the obstacles you'll have to face as a believer and then have a nice life, have a good life, have the kind of life that you want to have that's pleasing to you, that will draw other pleasant things to you, and that's the blessed life. And that's what David said. He found the key. He said, my biggest problem was my conscience not allowing me to expect good things, my heart not um, being able to be trusted to draw good things to me. And so he said, the blessing is that God does not impute sin to me anymore, but he puts righteousness on me and I can go forward in life unhindered and unstopped with good things and expect good things all the time. Righteousness removes doubt from us. It causes us to expect good all the time. But you don't know, I messed up. I messed up my money. I messed up my paycheck. God knew he was, you were going to mess it up before he let you earn it. If he really didn't want you messing up, he wouldn't put money in your hands. But he must trust you to some degree to make the right decisions because he continues to open doors for you to be employed. See, God is a type of God where your mess-ups don't cause him to change his mind about what he thinks he can do with you. Because righteousness takes care of that. Righteousness is bigger. Listen, God is more powerful than the devil any, any day. Do you think what the devil tells you to do can stop God from blessing you? God knows how to get you into the position. And God's not blessing you on top of your mess. But he can cause you to write up your life so that you can do the right thing and sow the right seed so that you can be blessed anyhow. Many times we're blessed because we do enough right things and they weigh out the wrong, outweigh the wrong things that we do. You got me? I tell people all the time, people who are in this ministry, our Saturday meetings, that's our school of ministry, and it's a prayer ministry. And I'll tell people, I said, you know, people have, have gotten accustomed to living the life that's blessed because of their prayer life. Listen, folks, most people, most Christians don't pray. You understand what I'm saying? They don't, they're not taught to pray. 
They don't pray in their churches. Where would they pray? They're certainly not going to pray at home. And so when you take up a ministry of prayer, that righteous seed that you sow in your prayer life is able to cause so much good stuff to grow up in your life, you don't have half the problems that non-praying people have. There's people out there that, that you know, they can't even it, it get a good job and in, in a decent education. They can't make it through school without some kind of major problem happening. You got to sit out for two or three quarters because something didn't go right. I don't know if anybody, anybody kid here that, that can't go to school and make it through if they want to. We got kids here, they're begging them to come to school. You got me? They want them there because they want what they have and they have something great to offer. Why? Because that righteousness, that righteous seed sown through a consistent prayer life causes such a harvest to come. The things that they mistake on and the things that they do bad have very little impact in their lives because there's so much righteous fruit coming up out of the ground. You got me? It's like if you if you had a garden and you you got all you put some good miracle grow down and you got the weed killer down and all that kind of stuff. Well, if you cleared it out to that level, when you plant your plants, nothing but harvest is going to come. If there's some weeds there, they don't even grow strong enough to cause your plants to even be affected by it. That's the righteous life. It's not that you don't make mistakes. It's not that you don't have problems. But the overwhelming harvest in your life is a righteous one. It's a bumper crop of good things that are coming into your life. Most Christians borrow trouble. Know what I mean when I say borrow? Instead of getting in your word and doing what you're supposed to do, we go to thinking and wondering and worrying. And we conjure up more trouble than is actually coming for us. Because we don't know how to occupy ourselves with the things of God on a regular basis. And so if we would take what we have in God and put it to good employ, just keep doing the right thing in God, you'll find that a lot of things that you thought were going to happen to the negative side never ever materialize. They never happen. Many people are concerned about, well, when I ever, will I ever get married? Will I ever find somebody? Quit worrying. And quit wondering and start believing God. Start putting righteousness into effect. See? Worry is just a little side street the devil gets you on because you stop believing God. You need to be putting that thing into employ. You need to say, God, you know what? My husband ain't here yet. And when he shows up, he better be fine and rich. <laughs> Bring no broke brother up in here. I don't know him. I don't know none of them. That's a decide. But anyhow, you understand what I'm saying? He's not here yet. But Lord, I see a lot of young women in the church that are expecting God to bring them good husbands too. I'm going to pray for them just like I would pray for mine. See, that's righteousness. That's how you employ your faith. That's how you employ love. That's how you employ righteousness to bring to you the thing that God has for you. But if you can cause it to, to make the sacrifice of causing it to happen for somebody else. Huh? Remember the midwives in Moses? Huh? Now, if you were a midwife, it was usually because you were barren. Huh? And that back in the day, if women didn't have children, oftentimes a husband would put them out. And so, amen. Yeah, I know, right. 
<laughs> I said, <laughs> I pity the fool. No. <laughs> I ain't going. <laughs> you can't make me. <laughs> I'll let her out tonight. No, but anyway, uh, <laughs> but uh, they would. And that was because people were so insecure about their survival. Children meant survival. And so many times barren women were midwives. Sometimes they were still married, so to speak. But if oftentimes they would move another woman in who was a childbearer so that the seed could go on. That's, that's how desperate life was back then. And so what they would do, though, would be midwives to other women. You know, they found women who were, and, and you know, that's kind of when you think about it, it's got to be a hard thing to do. Yeah. It's a heartbreaker. Someone who can't have children has to help bringing children into the world. It's a sacrifice. It's an emotional sacrifice. It's a, a sacrifice. And then they would stay, midwives would often stay with the, the mother and the child until the mother was back on her feet again. And so it was a, a kind of a sacrificial life. And so when Pharaoh gave the decree for all the Hebrew babies to be, uh, uh, for them to be killed when they were born, to the midwives, the midwives decided they weren't going to take no part in that. Righteousness. You make a righteous decision in a difficult situation. And so when, when all the Hebrew babies were still alive, Pharaoh asked them, he said, well, how come these babies are still alive? Oh, they had them babies before we even get there. We can't do it. Once the baby starts screaming, what you going to do? You know what I'm saying? We know, the mother knows it's born alive, so it's born before we get there. And they told the story over and over and over again. Well, they kept, in an under pressure, they did the righteous thing, and that was preserve life. Listen, if you have to die, lie to a devil to preserve life, you lie to a devil to preserve life. Now, you know, false righteousness will say, well, how come they had to lie then? If they're so righteous, how can they tell lies? You're telling a lie to the father of lies. And if he don't know his own stuff, <laughs> he ain't as smart as he thinks he is. He don't know his own stuff. And so, and God could make it so anyway. You understand what I'm saying? It could wind up being so. And so anyway, the Bible says when God saw that the midwives helped preserve the seed of the nation of Israel, God gave them households of their own. And all, and all of a sudden, all the barren women who were midwives started to have children. You got me? So whatever you do, whatever you lack in God, you start sowing that into the life of somebody who has a need just like you do. If you know somebody who's, who's depressed or, or sad or something like that, you start sowing prayers of righteousness. God, just wake them up this morning and brighten their day. Do something for them today, Lord. You know how to do it, God. I don't know how to do it. But you do something special for them, Lord, and let them know that they're loved. Help them through the difficult times. And if you do that, you'll find you have a far fewer difficult times yourself. Because that faith is now starting to grow in you. You're starting to plant that righteous seed sacrificially. See, when you don't have it and you're lacking it, 
And you can give it out to somebody else. That's a sacrifice. You got me? And when God sees you living that way, he cannot help but come to your aid and rescue. Because that's what his son did for the whole world. You got me? So that's how we identify with Jesus in our righteousness. Is by working in the same righteousness that he worked in. Are you all learning something today? You, this helping you and you? Okay. So we'll keep going a little bit. <clears throat> All right. Amen. I appreciate it. So David says the man is blessed, the one who God does not impute righteousness. That's the whole key, folks, is God's righteousness and having something else to sow, another spiritual force to sow out of instead of the flesh all the time. That's the turnaround. That's the key for everybody is to begin to sow righteousness. And he says in verse 8, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. This blessedness comes upon the circumcision only or the uncircumcision. For we say that the faith was reckoned, that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or uncircumcision? And he says he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but also who walk in the steps of faith of our father Abraham, which he had before he was even circumcised. So what's that saying? That's saying that faith is stronger than works. When God ordered Abraham and all his household to be circumcised, that was a work of faith that God gave them that sealed them as God's people. Afterwards, God came to Abraham with a big promise. And Abraham had to forget works. He had to forget trying to do everything right all the time and just put all of his confidence in God because it was too big for him to even conceive that he could do that on his own. You got me? So Abraham was the man who put everything out there believing God and held nothing back. And it says in verse 13, for the promise that he would be heir of the world. Did you know that Christians are the final heirs of everything in this world? Amen. We are the final heirs of everything in this world. Everything belongs to us because everything belongs to Christ. Amen. And the Bible says we are joint heirs with him. Now I'm not talking about some kind of wealth transfer where we're all sitting up here waiting on something. But I'm saying that you can have faith for anything that God puts in your heart to believe because all things belong to us, his heirs. Not just to God and we're begging him to give us a little trickle. But these things belong to us as heirs. That's why you can look in the Bible and God can quicken any promise to you. And you can put your faith on that and you can hold on to it and you can believe it. The Bible says all the promises of God are yea and amen by us. We have to say yes and amen to them. And not stagger that God would do something like that for us. You know the devil will get you so jacked up in your mind you won't even believe God for simple things. That you see sinners have every day and think nothing of it and, and you think it's way far from you because he wants to keep you bound up and not believing God and not stepping out in what God wants you to step out in. Amen. 
And so you have to watch yourself that you allow your faith to always be loose and your faith to always be working in the things of God. And so he says, the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. In other words, you can't be good enough. You can't stop doing the wrong thing long enough for God to bless you. You've got to just step out believing him and trust that he's following you and he's leading you. He says, for if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise of none effect. So you'll get your greater blessing by forgetting about trying to earn it some kind of way from God. And just trust that he meant what he said and let him do it and quit bugging him about it and quit wondering about it. And finally trust him and let him bring the good things that he wants to bring in your life. God will test you on it too. Sometimes what you want is wrapped in an unattractive package. What you need is wrapped up in a package you don't want to receive. I'm not talking about no ugly man and no broke man. See, y'all, now y'all ain't right. I t- keep telling y'all that God ain't like that and you keep going there. You know, nowadays everybody in a gym and it wasn't like that when I was, you know, back in, the, you go home, go, you close your ears. It wasn't like that back in the day when I was a young slip, of, thin slip of a thing. You know what I'm saying. But now these dudes working out and stuff. I mean, you know, I mean, they looking good. And it's not like God don't want you to have that. But I'm not talking about cruising no gyms either, y'all. <laughs> you know, all these little Christian t-shirts and things, they got God's gym, you know. You think you got God's gym and get home, it's Godzilla, you know. That brother start jacking you up and hitting you, slapping you, acting crazy. Anywho, but um, you know what I'm saying. We have, we have the capacity in righteousness to trust God to when we say we want husband he knows what's in our mind husband he won't and this ain't nobody else's husband either stop that you know you want somebody that's been worked over mellowed up and refined and uh, no you ain't getting that you got to start with your own lump of clay and let God shape that through your prayers. You're going to have to pray that brother into something desirable. You understand? I mean, the basics we come in with. Don't get me wrong. But you can't have, you ain't the clean up woman. You done stop that kind of stuff. You got to have the, you understand what I'm saying? But you can trust God to bring you somebody that you desire. You got me? In some way. Some people you have to learn to love. You know, after being around them for a season. They don't come in wrapped up real pretty like you think they're supposed to be. But God will bring you unusual things in unique packages sometimes. Just to see if you'll stay out of the flesh and trust him in righteousness. Sometimes that guy is not your husband. So don't think every man that comes towards you, ooh, this the one, this the one, this the one. And then the next, ooh, this the one, this the one. You, you stop that. Because God has a way of speaking to your heart and drawing you in the right way to the person that, that he knows you're going to be satisfied. He knows you. 
He knows that after a couple of weeks you forget, oh, I forgot I was married. Well, I'm supposed, oh, girl, I got to get home. It's dinner time. I forget. You know, you know, huh? God will get you to the point, <laughs> see? <laughs> Sister McKinney, you've been there in her mind already. Huh? You, God will fix it so that you don't forget simple things like that, you know. You can be on the J-O-B all the time like you're supposed to be. Huh? Be a perfect person for that person. But sometimes you have to trust God initially to work things out with that individual. Don't be so quick to reject everybody, you know, just on sight. Sometimes you have to allow God to reveal to you who these people are. And oftentimes, who you're, you're supposed to be married to comes by revelation. It doesn't come by eyeballing them. You got me? Because in eyeballing, you can always find fault with something that's not really a problem. Amen? But if you allow God to help you to get to know somebody, learn how to let God and trust him. Righteousness allows you to be able to trust God in all things. So he says, we'll drop down to verse 18. So then Abraham finds that he can believe God for impossible things. In verse 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, before whom he believed even God who quickens the dead and calls those things that be not as though they were. In righteousness, when... When you call yourself healed and you still got symptoms, you're not feeling well. If that bothers you to hear the, the words, I'm healed, then there's something unrighteous there that it's attacking. You got me? Righteousness hears the way God hears and accepts the way God accepts. So that when you are in righteousness, when you say, I am healed, you receive it all over. There's nothing there to, to fight it. There's nothing there to attack it. There's nothing there to counter it. It sinks in without being argued with. You got me? And so when you begin to speak like God and talk like God, you will call those things that be not as though they are without trying. Without a lot of effort. It just emanates out from your spirit. And that becomes your natural way of understanding and speaking about things. You can't put righteousness on. You can't fake it. You've got to understand it on the inside. And you've got to nurture it on the inside. And it's got to feed you. And it will come out the right way. If you're shaky about saying something that God has spoken to you. Don't say it. Meditate on it. Until it gets strong enough in you and there's enough faith attached to it so that when it comes out, it will stay out there and it'll start to produce and it'll live. If you start saying things when you're shaky about them, the only thing that's going to happen is you're going to wind up thinking they're not true because you're not strong enough in faith to not stagger at it. So you'll stagger at your own words sometimes if you don't allow yourself to stay in faith and confidence in God. And he says, God called him the father of a multitude before he was even the father of one son. Abraham and his wife Sarah were barren for many years. You know the story. God told them that they would have a son. 
they assumed in their flesh and in their staggering that God meant any way that they could. And so they found the any way that they could. And Abraham had a son with the maid, Hagar, and his name was Ishmael. God does not bless Ishmael's. He wants to bless righteousness. Ishmael was a mistake, but God blesses righteousness. So God said, uh-uh, you're going to do it over again. And see, this is where sometimes we split off from God. Because we, like Abraham, want so bad for everything that we've done to get God's seal of approval. Now God, in, in the new covenant, God adopts and he blesses through adoption. So if you have children and you have them out of wedlock or whatever the situation is, once you're saved, your whole household is saved. Praise God. But God still wants you to do things in righteousness. He wants you to work in righteousness. Why is he so adamant about us living a righteous life? Because you will never know the peace, contentment, joy, the, the peace of mind, all things right in your life if you don't ever work in righteousness. He doesn't want you to keep going down the unrighteous road and coming back and repenting and say, God bless this and help me. He doesn't want that. He has a better life for us. He wants things to come in the right way. He doesn't want a bunch of sweat and toil and then you kind of worry and wonder and don't know what's going to happen. When you're in righteousness, you know it's going to work right. You know it's going to turn around for you. You know you're not going to stay in this place forever. You know you're not going to be in the... You know God has something good coming for you because you started working with him. You can sense it on the inside when you're in righteousness. You know you can start to expect good because there's no judgment against you. There's no law against righteousness. There's no monkey on your back telling you you did this and you did that. What you going to do about this? Well, wait a minute, devil, because I'm liable to mess up again. And you know what? God's going to forgive me again and I'll get right back up in his face asking him for more stuff to hurt you with. You've got to live like that. God gave this to us to overcome all the problems of wickedness and overcome the, the, the trials and the, the pressure of the devil. You know, the devil can put such pressure on you. you you'll be in another world almost. Constantly on you. Yeah, look at that. Look at what you did. Yeah, yeah, do that right. Yeah, yeah. Hmm? Do right really doesn't have a whole lot to do with God doing anything for us. God's the do right. Huh? Jesus is the do right. Jesus working through us is the do right. See, you never know what the Spirit of God is going to lead you to do. You leave that old life behind, the devil won't be able to... Listen, if we can get over our fear of money, we lose most of our mental pressure right away. And God's already told us we're heir of all things. And why do we still, why are we still concerned about it? Well, I want you to pray for my finances. You pray for your own finances. You know what I'm saying? You start speaking those righteous words out of your lips. You start expecting God to give you more. You start expecting increase. Huh? You should never want somebody to do your praying for you. You can get them to agree with you and shoulder some of the burden with you and help you along with that. 
But, but whoever is praying is going to... Listen, if I say, car come, if I don't say who I wanted to come for, it's come. Guess where it's coming? My house. Huh? You got me? You can enrich somebody else's life or you can learn to enrich your own. If you learn how to use your own righteousness to bring right things into your life and learn to trust God. He is not the boogeyman. He is not Frankenstein. He is not going to bring you something into your life that's wrong for you. And let me just drop this on you while we're talking about it. If it is wrong for you, he'll make you straighten up for a change. So you don't have to make everybody else conform to what you want. Who do we think we are? Asking God for the impossible. Well, God, you know, when my husband goes, oh boy, here we go. I want him to be right, tight. Gotta cook, gotta clean. No, that's a wife, you lesbian. You quit play, praying like that. Huh? Quit praying like that. Now he gonna have to cook and clean. No, that's a woman you praying for. Cut that out. God don't get involved in that kind of stuff. I'm here to tell you. And see, this is why some of us are stuck in neutral. Can't give up your worldly thinking. Listen, I was married for 30 years. I didn't want my husband in the kitchen. No more than he wanted to be in there. Huh? Well, you know, men, they so scared. You know how they have this thing about homophobia? Men supposed to be homophobic. You know, they can't change a diaper or they think that's gay or they can't cook or they think that's gay. It will make them gay. Look at how many gay men we got out there now because of role reversal. You know, they done swapped roles with some Women that took the remote controls. All that was was a fight over the seat on the couch or the, the recliner. Yes. Mm-hmm. All they wanted was the in charge of the remote control. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody got it. I think I'll have a drink of water. <laughs> That's all it did. Y'all just swapped places. You were jealous of him sitting down while you was up cooking dinner. That's all that was about. Moving on. <laughs> you know, some people just stun. They are. <laughs> What's coming next? <laughs> mm-hmm. But if God tells you you're going to bring a husband, he gonna bring, for God to bring him, he's going to be a man. Yeah. Huh? And he's going to bring all his manhood in there with him the first day. Huh? Am I right, brother, back there in the back row? (laughs) He's worthy. Amen. You don't sacrifice who you are, ever, when God's in your life. God made you who you are for a reason. And he'll have somebody who can match up with you. 
And you women quit demanding so much. Huh? The minute you meet a man, it's the pat and frisk. You know, assume the position. Brother up to her. Because they know how to do that real good, so most of them, you know, some of we have a long history of uh, arrest warrants. But anyway, you, <laughs> I'm just messing with y'all. We are the stagger knots. We don't stagger. See what happens with most young people because we, our minds in the world have been trained to despise commitment, despise marriage to think fornication is the way to go, all that kind of stuff. Then when God gives us a promise that somebody, he is preparing somebody who will be a good, stable wife or husband for us, we stagger. Huh? And then your, your past sins and all that kind of stuff don't make you any steadier on your feet. They make you stagger even more. Because How can God do something good for me considering what I've done? And God will say, what you done when? Huh? What's done is done. That's why you call it done. Because it's done. And it don't exist no more. Amen? It's done. When you operate in righteousness, you know that it's done. You know God doesn't impute that and hold that against you anymore. And that's the greatest thing about righteousness because it gives you, if, if you don't have that knowing, nobody can give it to you. Amen. You've got to seek for that knowing for yourself. And say, God, I want to be there, but I'm not there. How do I get there, God? I know there's a way to get me there where I'm not concerned about what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong to earn something so I can believe you. Amen. Huh? Yes. You've got to learn how to release your faith no matter what your condition, when you step over into righteousness, you can release your faith at any time for anything. Amen. You know, when, when I was um, going, I told you all about my thing with the dentist. They take your blood pressure of all things. Now, I've been under the radar for a lot of years. I don't go to doctors. I go when God tells me to go. Next, next, last time I went, they took a biopsy. And I said, God, you know what? I want that little tissue they cut off. I want that back. I don't know when I'll know if I ever got it back or not, but I want that back. You ain't taking nothing from me, devil. But God tells me when to go and what to go. And when he leaves me in everything else, why should I turn that over to man at this point? But see, when you get older and you put on weight, all these other ideas start popping in your head. So I go to the dentist and my blood pressure's high, you know. So I kind of talked to him and prayed under my breath. And so he said, ah, I don't believe that blood pressure. We'll go ahead and do this anyway. <laughs> I just want my dental work done. I promise us, look, I refuse to die today. I'm not dying up in here, that's for sure. So you clear, okay? You won't get in no trouble if you treat me. God's told me that I'm not going to die up in here. But what the enemy will do to you is say, well, you know that you, you could have high blood pressure and it could be bad. You could have a stroke at any time. You could have, huh? So he haunts you with these things. So what are you going to do? Are you going to believe that God is punishing you for being overweight? Even though you're working on it. We all working on something. 
Do you believe in the punishment? Or are you going to let righteousness rise up and speak to you and say none of these diseases that he put on the Egyptians are for his people? Now they're finding out that everything is related to your weight. Huh? You could have not only high blood pressure, you could have diabetes, you could have stroke, you could have all of this stuff. All this, and you mean to tell me that in over, and obesity is increasing in this country. You mean to tell me all them people running in and out of McDonald's for years is in danger of dropping dead at any minute? I don't believe it. And I'm not going to believe it because my Bible says none of these diseases... It didn't say if you stayed under the radar with your weight and did everything right. You don't get cancer as a skinny person. You understand me? Something's going to try to grab you no matter what your condition is. So are you going to let your righteousness speak for you? Or are you going to sit up and let the devil beat you up with all of these threats? Of he, Oh, you know, if you get in that car by yourself, you might have a stroke. I said, you know what, devil? I might stroke you out here a minute with what I'm going to tell you from the word of God. The Bible says none of these diseases. See? The only thing that's happened with many people is that they've allowed natural situations to inflate their minds so that they don't think righteousness by God. You know, I, I make some agreements with myself. God stopped me after three potato chips. And then it's six. God, where are you? You're supposed to stop me. You understand what I'm saying? That's working on it. That's what I call working on it. You know, you're not trying to get a free pass and eat up everything you want to eat, but you're working on it. God doesn't kill people for working at it. You understand me? You just keep working on it. If he can keep liars and fornicators alive, he can keep fat folks alive too. And they can walk in divine health in Jesus' name. Thinking about the devil. Then I thought about it. I said, you know, I ain't as scared of dying as he thinks I am. Are you kidding me? Do you know when I leave here, I got certain people lined up. I want to do my hair, my nails. I want you to lay me out, but not too expensive. You got me? Have a nice funeral. Whoever can get up and say something, say something. Don't let no long-winded preachers come up there and bore everybody. Because I will get up and leave. Because I walked out on them before. That won't stop me. But you know when a Christian dies, there's a celebration in heaven. The Bible says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious in God's sight when we go home. So I thought to myself, I said, you know, devil, you think you worrying me about this? You are not going to worry me. I'm not going to no hospice. I'm not going to wind up in no rehabilitation thing. I have a covenant with God of divine health. I'm going to go out serving God. I'm going to go out preaching or doing something. And I'm not going until I'm satisfied with the life that I've lived. And it's going to be a long life and a healthy life. Amen. So when righteousness speaks for you, it increases your faith. When righteousness talks out of you, you stagger not. So the Bible says, Abraham, in verse 18, 
When God called him Abraham, he changed his name from exalted father to father of a multitude. And he said to reinforce this Abraham, remember I've told you this, every time you look at the sand, that's how many kids you're going to have. When you look at the stars in the sky, that's how many children you're going to have. Just to reinforce to you that I've told you this, I'm going to tell you you can either look up or look down. And it'll remind you that I've told you this. And he says, against hope, he believed in hope. When you hope against hope, that means that your ability to cheat righteousness by doing it yourself is gone. That's a good place to be, folks. People tell me things like, well, God, you know, the the, uh, doctors told me there's nothing they can do for me. I said, that's a good place to be, whether you believe it or not, because you can put everything you've got now in God. You can put all your confidence in him. You You won't be disturbed by another opportunity to do something on your own outside of God. You can put your full attention now in the things of God. Most people who are sick, Renee, who was in our ministry, she passed away not too long ago, was healed of cancer. In fact, we never knew it. Her daughter was told by the doctors at the time they diagnosed her that she didn't have more than a week to live. She lived seven years after that. In fact, ten years after that. Why? She told God, she said, God, I've heard that you do things for people like this. She said, God, if you can do it in three days for me like you did it for so-and-so. That's righteousness talking. See, righteousness told her, her faith told her to hold God to his standard. Renee was good for hearing a testimony and mooching off of it and go do it. She said, well, you told when you gave your testimony, God did this for you. I went and did it too. (laughs) She had that relationship with him. And so... She said, she told God, if you can do this in three days, and she was one of those people, she believed in her word, in her MP3 player, and in her scriptures. And she put herself under the word, and in three days, every lump she had was gone. The biopsy wound that had not healed because she was diabetic was healed up. God healed her totally in three days, and she stayed healed for ten years with only one week to live. And so I'm telling you, when righteousness talks for you, you can hope against hope. Every natural hope was gone. The doctors can't do nothing for you. What do you do? You hope against hope. That God, there's a miracle for me. God, there's something in you for me that I don't know I haven't tapped into yet, but I'm looking for it, and I'm not coming out of this until I get it. You make up your mind, you're coming out healed, you're coming out prosperous, you're coming out joyful, you're coming out whatever, stay in there until you get what you came for, and then you come out. Hoping against hope means you don't have the distractions of an Ishmael trying to create an Ishmael. They've done that already and it didn't work. Huh? body of Christ needs to recognize that they can do better than Ishmael we don't always have to create our own second best because we don't trust God we can get God's fullest and God's best for us at all times he says and who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken so shall your seed be and being not weak in faith Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body. 
I don't care how strong you are physically, mentally, how many degrees you have, when you consider your own abilities, that's weak faith compared to God. Huh? You got to consider not. I don't care if it's something that, that's brought you masses of money in the past or masses of whatever. You've got to consider not that thing. That's off the table. If God's going to do something for you, he's going to get the glory. And the Bible says Abraham hoped against hope, considered not his own body, now dead, nor even the deadness of Sarah's womb. So you got two people. Old people, elderly people, past menopause, but God's promised them a baby. And he says, and he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. You think God won't do it? And you stagger under the weight of it. God tells you he's going to bring you three clients before the year is over and it's going to put you over the top it's going to increase your your income 300% this year and you hear that and you think huh just like the weightlifters you know I used to like to watch them on, on the Olympics not really interesting but I always like to see the guy who didn't make it you know see him drop it and you know some big guy you know that kind of stuff but, you know, when they first, they have to clean it, you know, pull it up clean and anchor it on their chest and their knees can't bend. Well, that's where you got to get to in your faith. When God first gives you a promise, you might try to lift it up and your, your legs buckle because you think, how can this be, God? I don't even know how to do this. I don't know where the first, I don't know, no, no. And you keep staggering. But eventually you're able to straighten your legs and Put it over your head. Why? Because faith has come to undergird you now. Righteousness has come to assist you now. You made up your mind. You know what, God, if you told me you're going to do this, you're going you're gonna to do this for me. And that's how Abraham did it. He staggered not because he had staggered before and he knew that wasn't going to get him anywhere. But what he did, the Bible says he was fully persuaded. When you stand with your knees straight, you're fully persuaded that it's not you that's got to do anything, but it's God is the one. You've got to trust that he will do it for you and be patient enough to serve him and stay in righteousness until it comes through. The Bible says through faith and patience we inherit the promises of God. I know it's a lot of people out here doing a lot of things and it seems they blow up real quick, but they fizzle out just as fast. Because if they're not doing it in God and they're not doing it in a way that it'll be sustained, it'll extinguish very quickly. Because the devil has something for staggerers. He'll talk you out of it in a, in a minute. He'll slap you around from one end of the room to the other. And by the time he's done with you, you'll be convinced God didn't tell you that. God's not going to do it. And how could he use a wretch such as me? But Abraham learned how to keep his knees straight and lift it up and not stagger. He said, I got it this time, God. I believe you and I believe only you. And he says he was fully persuaded, not partially. Know what partial is? On Sunday after you've had the word, you feel real good about it. And the devil pimp slaps you on the way to work all day in that car, Monday. By the time you get there, you back that little nub that couldn't believe nothing anymore. That's partial persuasion. But keep working on it. Keep working at it. 
because you will be able to strengthen your knees. Amen. The Bible tells you, lift your, the hands of weak hands and strengthen the feeble knees. Yes. Because that's what faith does for you. It helps you to strengthen your weakness so that you can stand strong under the promise of God. You can believe God. He said it. It has nothing to do with me. All I got to do is hold on to it until he comes through for me and he'll come through in the right season because he's a just God. He's a righteous God. He's a good God. He does everything according for my good. He'll work it out for my good. So the Bible says the stagger knots are able to get faith, undergird themselves with faith. The Bible says to gird up your loins with truth. Keep yourself in the word. Don't let yourself get far from your Bible. But keep yourself strengthened. Gird it up with truth. So that it helps hold you up in times of testing. In times where the enemy is tempting you to let go of it. The devil would like nothing more than to come along and be able to sucker punch somebody when they're right at the finish line. Getting ready to reel in what God has for them. But if you're a stagger knot. Whatever God tells you you're going to do, you're fully able to believe him for it. And the Bible says that he was fully persuaded in verse 21 that what he had promised he was able also to perform. God promises, God performs, we believe and we don't stagger. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for understanding that comes with your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word is holy. It's without blame. It's right. It's always right. That your word, a promise, is something that we can rely on fully. That it won't leave us until it's done what it is that we want it to do. Thank you, Jesus. And righteousness speaks of promises in a way that they are real. And they build up reality within us. Righteousness is something that you gain access to just by believing God, by putting down what you have thought and what you've read and what you've heard and now settle in and believe me, says the Lord. Just believe me and trust me, says God. I want to get your attention and tell you about good things to come, good things that I have for you, good things that are coming. Don't be weary in well-doing because you will receive if you don't lose heart. I deal with people in the heart, says the Lord. And I want your heart full of hope. I want your heart full of faith. I want your heart full of trust in me. And I will do exactly what I said I was going to do. And in the right season. And in the right time. And the Lord is saying that, that there are people here, when they hear things a certain way, they quit and walk away. He said, you drop that thought and you drop that idea and walk away from it. And he said, just like the weightlifter. But he said, the champion comes back for another try. Because there's always another try. In the, even in the Olympics, you get three shots at it before they say you're out. But I give you shot after shot after shot after shot after shot, says the Spirit of God. 
Because I know the pressure of the enemy. I know the pressure on your mind. I know the pressure and I know the, the tricks and the snares of the enemy to try and discourage you. But I have caused you to overcome, says the Lord. So the Lord's saying, go back and, and pick it up one more time and see if your knees don't straighten out this time. Says, See if they don't straighten out this time, says the Lord. Because I can help you to carry it through life. I am the lifter. I am the one who does the heavy load. All you have to do is believe and trust me, says the Spirit of the living God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And God's saying that there are some people I've already told you what I'm going to do. And, and you put it down and you leave righteousness because you're afraid of the outcome, says the Lord. But you can trust the outcome will be different, but it's one that will bring you joy and it's one that you can trust. It won't be like anything you've experienced or anything you've seen anybody else experience, says the Lord. It'll be something tailor-made for you. So you can trust me. So you can trust me. You can trust me. You can trust me. Now, the past is just that, says God. I call it past because it's over. And if you would focus on the new, if you would focus on the now, let your downtime be a time of rejoicing in me. Let it be a time of lifting me up and praising me and surely you will not conjure up fears from the past anymore says the spirit of God just trust me trust me trust me trust me says the Lord trust me because I am trustworthy and I am true and I will do it for you it's my pleasure to give you the kingdom it's my pleasure to do this for you it's my pleasure. Thank you, Jesus. Now, the Lord wants me to have you do something because it, when, I, when he had me say, it's my pleasure to do this, I could feel a resistance because some people have been stuck in what's behind them for so long and their minds are so filled with fear and failure and doubt and, and the things that don't pertain to righteousness that it's hard for it to, to stick. It's hard for you to believe that God has pleasure in giving you what you ask for. And God says, I cause you to desire these things. These are not things that I just am putting on you. But these are things that are coming from up out of your heart. And you request them and I want to give them to you, says the Spirit of God. I desire to give them to you. And I want to give them to you. But you have to open the door of faith. And you have to step in. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, I want everybody to stand up. If you need to get in the aisle, get in the aisle. But get some, some room in front of you. out in the aisle, some in the front. Praise God. I know it seems like a little bit of uh, trouble for you, but you're going to have to go at least two steps. So nobody with a chair in front of them won't be that hard to do. You guys stay up, stand up too. Praise God.
There you go. Just move out in the aisle. Come on up. Don't be afraid to come. I ain't biting nobody up here at this altar. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Now what God is saying is that there are so many things, so many desires in this room. There's so many hearts that are full of desiring the good things of God. You got me? Because I can feel it. Because anybody here will tell you, I ain't a crybaby. But when I feel to cry, it's because somebody's crying on the inside. Because of something they really desperately need from God, but they just can't get it straight that it's coming and it's good and they can trust. So what God is saying is that he's saying, open the door of faith and let me in. So open your door of faith to him. Now I want you to step on the inside of that door. And believe God. It's just that simple. Just believe God. That he wants it for you. He's a good God. He heard you when you asked for it. And he wants you to stay on this side of the door. So that as you begin to operate from this side of the door, you have the assurance that every good thing that you desire from him is coming your way and he won't fail you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, wasn't that easy? Amen. It's so easy to believe God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. 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 Now, if you guys want to put on some music, if anybody needs prayer, come on up here and I'll pray for you. We always close in prayer. Praise the Lord. I think I need to give these to Miss Nola. Yeah. Praise God. Can you give that to Nola, please? Praise God. Man. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Anybody need?